0: Good Saturday morning to you. You are listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. He is Bill Alexander. I am Jason Kong, and for the next hour or so, we're going to be teaching you all about asset – well, Bill's going to be teaching you about it. I'm just going to be along for the ride because he's the man who knows everything. And, Bill, how are
1: you doing this morning? Ah, good morning. Good morning, Jason. I hope you're doing well.
0: I am. I am. It's uh, it's been an interesting week around here with another hurricane – affecting the United States, but uh, everything seems to be on the, uh, the mend here, and hopefully that's that's it for the hurricanes. I'd well, be happy about that.
1: true. Uh, of course, um, we have a lot of folks to uh, worry about, and of course, uh, there are a number of Floridians who are, and even folks from Georgia as well, um, who are in our neighborhood, if you will, in mm-hmm. shelters uh, along I-95, and we certainly want to wish them well and hope that they're on their way their way home at this point. Um, you know, it's it's pretty tough to have these natural disasters. It just just tells us that life is uncertain and that uh, even, uh, of course, those who who plan are in much better uh, shape than those who don't. Those who um, you know make sure that they have a protected place to be and have water on hand and have fuel on hand and. Uh, have a generator and all of those kinds of things are far better off than those folks um, who've done no planning at all. And, you know, it all comes as a shock to them that, that something bad can happen. And that's just life. And it's not just hurricanes. It's it's everything and every day for, for us. It's just the way it it's the way life is. That is. And <laughs> I,
0: I thought people did a better job preparing this time around, I guess, with Matthew last year and Harvey a few weeks ago that uh, folks kind of that was still fresh in their minds that this is something you need to get ahead of.
1: Well, this uh, Irma was uh, it was a scary storm for we you know for the uh, two weeks before it hit. I mean, largest storm ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, uh, while it did a lot of damage, it, uh, we were very fortunate. It it uh, veered off course enough to where the damage was reduced significantly from what was expected, even though. You know, for the folks who got hurt, uh, you know, the fact that it was less than it might have been doesn't really matter a whole lot. But uh, uh, it um, it's it's the kind of thing where we, I guess all in all we were fortunate and we were really lucky in North Carolina uh, because you know some would say, well, we needed the rain, <laughs> 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 but uh, but at the at the same time. Uh, uh, we, di- we didn't get uh, what what Georgia and particularly what Florida got, so we were very very fortunate. And it could have just as easily turned our way, um, so we were fortunate, and we have a lot to be thankful for.
0: We dodged the bullet there. Well, let's mm-hmm. let's get to business here, Bill. We're talking about trust today, and that's mm-hmm. a, that's a pretty broad topic. So where are we going to start? Well, uh,
1: well, let's start at the beginning. Okay, <laughs> that's a good place to start. <laughs> Well, I, actually, I, I'm not going to do that. The first thing I'm going to do, because this show is about asset protection, asset preservation, um, which is so important. Uh, and the, the thing that folks need to know first is the fact that the most trusts that are created, and that would fall into what's called a revocable trust or what's also called a living trust at times, Uh, give, while you're alive and well, give you absolutely zero asset protection. In other words, those trusts generally don't give any asset protection until one spouse or both spouses, in some instances, die. And some never give asset protection. But but there's so many folks who believe that if I have a trust, I have asset protection, And because the most common trust that's created by attorneys is a revocable trust, there's no asset protection in that one. And so people just need to understand what they've got. (laughs) So that's uh, rule number one. Now, there are trusts that can be created that give you asset protection, but the most common trust gives you none. And that's, that's rule number one. Okay. The most common mistake... I see with folks who have actually created a trust. And sometimes it was last year. Sometimes it was 10 or 15 years ago. Sometimes it was done in another state and they bring their documents to North Carolina. Um, The most common mistake is that oftentimes uh, the documents are created, but they're never used. And, and that's worse than not having the documents at all. And by not being used, I mean that the folks who created the trust never went to the trouble of pushing their property into their name as trustee of the trust. In other words, they didn't what we call – they didn't fund the trust. They didn't transfer their house to themselves as trustee. They didn't transfer their bank accounts or change their beneficiary designations or – didn't change their investment accounts uh, or change their beneficiary designations on their retirement accounts if their trust uh, is prepared so that it can accept retirement accounts. Some do, some don't. So those that's the most common mistake. And the problem for those folks, I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of, uh, of situations where, in almost every case where people create a revocable trust – their last will and testament uh, is changed to be what we call a pour-over will, and it basically says if I've forgotten to put stuff in my trust, then at my death, uh, my my the executor of my estate under my last will and testament will put it into my trust at that time. Well, the problem with that is real real simple. It's that all of your property has to be administered in a probate administration through the courts before the property can even get to your trust well half the people creating trusts, one of the biggest reasons they do it is to avoid the probate and estate administration process to avoid the court and the and the delay and the cost that's involved with uh the court well you know, if, if part of your intention is to avoid it, not funding your trust is the biggest mistake you can have. The other problem uh, is that most people do a trust to actually save money, not cost more money. And guess what? If you don't fund your trust after you create it, if you don't transfer your property, your expenses actually are higher than if you did not create that trust because, number one, you've paid more for the trust in the first place. Number two, you haven't saved anything in the estate administration process, the court process. You've paid all of those fees. And then once the property gets to the trust, then you have a little bit of trust administration on top of that to do. So you've actually probably paid 50 to 100 percent more by creating your trust and then not transferring your property to yourself as trustee. So that's rule number two, if not rule number one, which is make sure you fund your trust if you create one. But uh, there are some things I'd love to talk about uh, to trust. Now, for some folks in the audience, they're glazing over and, oh, gosh, do I have to listen to this? (laughs) But uh, actually, it it, it is interesting. Um, Trusts aren't what people think they are. You know, most folks uh, and when most uh, advisors talk about trust, they really talk about a bucket or an entity where you can basically put your property into that entity. Well, a trust is not an entity. You know, that's one of the things about a trust. It's, it's in its simplest form. A trust is simply a contract. It's an agreement. And, and typically, it's an agreement that you make with yourself. So it's really sort of fun when you think about it because trusts do have a lot of law behind them. In fact, it, trusts have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they work. They're wonderful. Okay, so what? how does a trust get started? What is it? All right, well, first of all, you have – a person who establishes the trust—it's uh, the person who creates the trust. Now, just to confuse you, that <laughs> person is called different things by different folks who cre- who actually write these trusts up. Okay. Now, uh, the probably the most common term for the person who creates the trust is grantor, and that's the one I use but there are at least three other terms that are used for that same person, and they have the same, very same meaning. So no matter what term is used, it means the same thing. So what, what are some of the other terms? Well, uh, trustor is one term that's used. Uh, Setlor is another term that's used. Trustmaker is another term that's used. So but it, it, all of those terms, all four of those terms, basically mean the same thing. It's the person who creates the trust, and then there are two other parties, uh, at least, to the trust. Okay, um, and so the next piece is all right. Who is going to manage the trust, and that's the trustee. Mm-hmm. Real important role. And so in most cases, the person creating the trust, guess what, who they name as trustee. They name themselves as trustee. Okay, so, um, so, but trustee is a fiduciary role. So you're basically taking off your hat as an individual and putting on your hat as a fiduciary, So, which is a different hat, it's a different role, and it's, establishes in other words you are required to administer your trust the way the agreement says now the good news is you created the agreement <laughs> okay, so you're doing what you told yourself to do and then the third party to a trust is the beneficiary and in almost every case but not every case guess who the beneficiary is The
0: spouse or your children?
1: Well, first of all, it's the person who created the trust. In other words, I create the trust, I I, um, name myself as trustee, and I name myself as the primary beneficiary. Now, I might also name my spouse as a primary beneficiary. I might name my children as a beneficiary, Uh, generally not a primary beneficiary, but typically a remainder beneficiary. Uh, and I might name my grandchildren if I had any, uh, which I don't. I have to, you know. If you know my my sons, please get them married, and, <laughs> and so we we can have some grandchildren. Sure, that they would love be that. <laughs> 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 well, neither they're they're both old enough. But, you know, I have one that's thirty three and one that's thirty one, uh, and so they're both at an age where you know it's sort of like, come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so anyway, we'll have to see about that. Uh, so anyway, uh, you know, I have no doubt that my if I ever get in a grandchild, that my grandchild will will be a beneficiary under under a, my trust. so um, but but the point is is there are three parties to to the trust now, Another interesting piece, and I know we have to take a break, has to do with the trust, trustee and how that role actually works. So when we come back from our break, I, I want to uh, start in on the trustee.
0: Very good. We will do just that. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF radio 680 WPTF you are listening to asset protection today with attorney bill alexander i am jason kong and we're talking all about trusts today and bill just before the break we were going to get into the role of the
1: trustee absolutely and so um uh, well just just to step back a half a step you know one of the most important documents uh people uh, execute when they do good estate planning um, is a financial power of attorney and typically also a, a health care power of attorney. Um, those are extraordinarily important life documents. A, a trust can be a life document as well. And because my emphasis, truthfully, in estate planning is not on death, although, you know, death planning is important and tax planning is important, it's how do we take care of ourselves during our life? And, and uh, you know, how do we protect our assets? How do we make sure that, that uh, we're okay? And so the power of attorneys are really, really important documents, okay? Now, and that's true whether you have a trust or not, but here's, here's the thing that people get confused. Okay, I've created a trust. I've also named an agent under a power of attorney. Now, normally for most people – the pri- their primary agent under uh, either a health care or a financial power of attorney is going to be their spouse. And after their spouse, or if they don't have a spouse, it would normally be a mature child. Mm-hmm. You know, now, that's not going to be true for everybody because everybody's different, but that would be the most common. But here's the thing. An agent under a power of attorney is not a trustee At all. And so if you have property in a trust, an agent under a power of attorney has no authority inside your trust at all. Okay. In other words, um, now, you can give your agent under your power of attorney, which is, in other words, that's a different fiduciary hat than your trustee hat. So completely different hat, but they're both fiduciary hats, but their roles are different. Okay, and that confuses folks. As you can, I can you know, see why that see would why happen. that confuses folks. Well, the now you can in your power of attorney, most don't, but most powers of attorney don't do this. Mine do, but generally, if you have a trusted agent as a power of attorney, and oftentimes your agent under the power of attorney is going to be either a co-trustee with you, your spouse, or a successor trustee uh, under your trust. Uh, But in other words, you can give your agent the ability to do several really important things. One is to amend your trust, if it's a revocable trust, um, or to put property in or take property out of your trust. Now, when an agent under a power of attorney is doing that, they're not acting as trustee. They're acting as the grantor. In other words, powers that are reserved to the grantor. An agent under a power of attorney can't do anything as trustee because they're not the trustee unless they're also named as a co-trustee or sole trustee of the trust. So very confusing, uh, but it's just a matter of uh, of a different Fiduciary role that uh, a person has. I mean, if you think it of it in another way, an attorney always has a fiduciary responsibility to you. Uh, Your financial advisor should have a fiduciary responsibility to to you. That's a different hat, though. Um, Your banker should have a whether they do or not. They should have a fiduciary duty to you. They really don't. That's unfortunate. Uh, Your doctor has a fiduciary duty to you. So, I mean, I'm just simply saying these are all different roles. Now, obviously, we can't play all those roles. We need those different folks to help us. But the same thing is true in our family. And, and of course, oftentimes we're going to appoint the same person to to wear several different hats. And so we might have the same person as our co-trustee under our trust or successor trustee they would also be our agent under our financial power of attorney and an agent under the medical power of attorney as well. Because normally we're only going to um, appoint or go to people that we absolutely trust. You know, Now, not everybody has mm-hmm. that, and so the appointment of an agent or, or a trustee can be very difficult for some folks because they don't have anybody. It might be because they have a dysfunctional family or they just don't have children and they don't have a spouse. Um, so uh, it can be difficult. Um, and now, there are uh, ways to protect people in, in that sense, and sometimes it's through a corporate fiduciary. Uh, sometimes it's, it's through a very, very close friend, but that's where you have to be extraordinarily careful. And sometimes it's it's um, appointing two people to act together as co-agents. Um, that's one of the more protective ways to do it because when you do that, uh, it, in order to be taken advantage of, your agents would actually have to conspire mm-hmm. to do it. Uh, so that, that's really helpful as well to, I mean, in, in terms of certain roles, but it's not necessarily an easy choice and it's certainly not one that you would just automatically pick your oldest child because sometimes the oldest child is not the most mature or most trustworthy or, or the like. And, and sometimes you have, I mean, every family is different, but it's not unusual for, for every child in the family to have a reasonably good relationship and even a trusting relationship with you as the parent but not with each other they don't trust each other <laughs> and and that can you know you have to recognize that and and uh, actually deviate some of your planning when you have a a situation uh, where the children don't talk to each other, mm-hmm. or they don't like each other, or they don't trust each other. You know, that's a that's that's just another problem that you have to deal with. But you can do it in a trust, and that's one of the nice things about it.
0: Very good. Well, we'll continue our conversation in just a bit. You are listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. You can find more about him online at WGA This is News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset protection today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio six eighty WPTF. I'm Jason Kong. Thank you so much for listening. We're talking all about trusts today, and we've gone over the the different roles of people in the trust: the uh, the grantor, the trustee, the agent. I'm learning all these new terms, Bill. I'm I'm gonna be halfway dangerous, but uh, I've got a question for you. Sure. And this could be a very stupid question, but let's say I set up a trust, hmm. and then I I pass away. How does that trust? what happens after that who how does this become enacted
1: well it doesn't become inactive if it's a good trust okay in, in other words now the thing about a trust is that okay you've died but your trust doesn't die mm-hmm. in other words the trustee just changes when a person dies if they're the if they are the trust maker or the grantor of the trust and they've also named themselves as trustee and the trustee dies then, okay, the next person steps up and becomes trustee. So you have to change normally through a certificate or an affidavit of trust. uh, The new trustee signs it saying, okay, I'm here. I'm going to serve as trustee now. And then you go to the bank and and sign a new signature card for the, the trust. But there's also other trust administration things that need to be done Uh, So it's really important when a person who has a trust dies, that the family goes to see an attorney, uh, because uh, there are a number of things that must be done. Uh, And part of it has to do with the Internal Revenue Service. You know, just because you have a trust doesn't mean you don't have to deal with the IRS. Uh, So you still have to file that tax return. And uh, generally speaking, when a person dies uh, – now, I'm really talking about a revocable trust now because mm-hmm. there are other types of trust. At that point, you have to get a tax ID number for the trust for it to be administered and for – typically for it to, to continue on. You have to have a new tax ID number because m- most of the time when the person dies – the, the trust property or the trust itself becomes irrevocable at that point in time because the grantor of the trust has died. He can't change it or she can't change it anymore because she's not around anymore. right So oftentimes, uh, in most cases, it becomes irrevocable. And so there are just some things that have to be done uh, when a person dies, and that's called trust administration. Now, That it's private, it doesn't go through court, it's faster than any court process because you don't have to deal with the courthouse, it's cheaper for uh, a a professional advisor such as an attorney, such as us, you know, W.G. Alexander, we do it all the time, um, uh, but uh, we don't have to deal with the courthouse, so we have a lot less time involved in it, and it's less expensive. But there are an awful lot of things that have to be done when a person dies. Okay. So
0: what happens, and we talked about this situation a little bit before, but let's say you don't have a lot of family or any family and you've, mm-hmm. you've set up your trust. How does the administration then kick in? If,
1: if Well, it's whoever, the, whoever you have named as the next person as trustee. We call that a successor trustee comes forward and okay. administers the trust. And normally the successor trustee is well aware that their job is to step in as trustee. Uh, Oftentimes they have no clue what they're doing initially, but they, you know, that's okay too. That's again, where uh, they get advice from uh, a good professional advisor. So uh, that's important. All right, but, all right. So there are a couple other things you know, just because revocable trusts are uh, the most common, you know, so if I go back to law school 42, 43 years ago, uh, we learned that if you create a trust during your lifetime, it's what's called an intervivos trust. Now, all that means I mean, that's the Latin for a living trust. So, now, when people say I have a living trust, that actually means it's a trust I created during my lifetime. Uh, But 99% of the time, if they characterize their trust as a living trust, that means they have a revocable trust, okay? Uh, Because for for whatever reason, even though it's not accurate, it's just the common perception. Living trusts are revocable. Not necessarily true. You can have a living trust that's irrevocable, too, but that's very rare. You just don't see that. Uh, I don't think I would ever call an irrevocable trust a living trust anymore just because people are using the term so poorly it's confusing yeah. to folks but you might i might call it an intervivos uh trust just because okay i'm a lawyer and i can use big words <laughs> we'd expect no less <laughs> so and and you pay by the word of course so uh, and and when they're really cool words like that you know you can charge a lot for those there you go <laughs> <laughs> so anyway um uh so uh, but the 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 Another term that's used is testamentary trust. And again, when people that's a trust, uh, well, depending on uh, who you're talking to, some folks again would say a testamentary trust is any trust that um, becomes uh, vested at death. In other words, it basically rises and becomes a, a trust only at death. There's no trust until death. Um, now, there are some who um, who will say that a testamentary trust uh, by its very nature means a trust that is created inside your last will and testament. Now, while I disagree with that, that's the, that's the way I would normally uh, call it because it's just easier, uh, again, it's sort of like that common understanding of, of, of what it is. But a testamentary trust is any trust that uh, becomes um, a trust at your death, and, and, all, and, and in um, most situations, it's going to be an irrevocable trust. And there, there are some will-based trusts that we use all the time, um, and we call them testamentary trusts, and we use them for spouses, and they're what we call supplemental needs trust. and we do this, these for seniors. This is not something that you would do for a young person, but why do we do it? Well, it's because if we, if we have everything in one spouse's name and, and they have a trust for their significant other, that's called a supplemental needs trust, and when that person dies, all of their property falls into this trust, it's protected and under, um, uh, under federal law, Uh, That trust is, it doesn't have a look back period for Medicaid. It doesn't have a sanction for creating it. Uh, So it's it's an extraordinarily powerful way. So if you have a spouse that's in a nursing home that's already on Medicaid, uh, then your death and all your property going into a supplemental needs trust will not disqualify your spouse or push him or her off of Medicaid. So that's a really important thing. And there's no estate recovery related to that trust either. Uh, so upon the death of it, – it, it's used to, for the, the benefit of the surviving spouse who's in the nursing home who may be at home sick and because of the death of the spouse has to go to a nursing home or has to go to a facility where Medicaid can be paid. But none of the property in your testamentary trust will be counted. So there's no spin down on that property for Medicaid. There's no five-year look back, no sanction. Mm -hmm. So it's just a really powerful way to create a trust for your spouse. We do that frequently for our clients, and it's absolutely wonderful. It's a wonderful way to go. So, all right, with that said, let's go back to why do people create trusts in the first place? I mean – why do I need a trust or why do I need a will? Well, first of all, if you don't have a, at least a will, then you have no control over who, gonna, who will get your estate at your death. There's certainly not going to be any asset protection involved. And generally speaking, it's not necessarily going to be your spouse. A lot of folks think, well, if I die without a will, it'll all go to my spouse. That's not what North Carolina law is, and that's not what the law is in most states It's going to be divided between your spouse and your children. Um, So anyway, uh, in order to control things during your lifetime and at your death, which most people like the concept of control, you've got to do some planning and you've got to have basic documents. So then, okay, I understand that I have to have a will. Why do I need a trust? Well, some people like trust. And trust can be anything from a very simple document that doesn't do much more than a will uh, to a, ver- a very complex document. doesn't have to be complex and seem that you don't understand it, but some are. Uh, but it can be used for just neat planning tools that are just absolutely wonderful for families. Uh, the most common reason that people Uh, create a trust. They don't do it for themselves, although some do. They're doing it primarily for the benefit of their children, because they want to leave their legacy to their children in a package. And I create a lifetime asset protection trust for children and grandchildren all the time. It's wonderful, because uh, one of the biggest concerns that parents have about leaving a big inheritance to their child is the potential for divorce you know even if the marriage seems to be a good marriage there are a lot of marriages that don't work out and there's no worse time in a person's life than divorce you know they're they're losing a lot of property that they've acquired over time Uh, they're they're typically not prepared for it financially in terms of being able to pay for their lifestyle, you know, they have to basically change their lifestyle, reduce their expenses, if you will, uh, and they don't have near as much money to do it with. So, it, you know, parents can protect their cho- their child's inheritance with an asset protection trust, and, and that will protect that child from a divorce if it's administered properly during the child's lifetime. And the child can be his, his or her own trustee of these trusts, too, which makes it nice. You can prohibit the spouse from being a trustee, which is is nice mm-hmm. um, in, in most cases. Um, you, but it also protects the child from other things that can happen, such as uh, being sued you know, lawyers can't get into a trust that you've created for your child. Um, uh, bankruptcy is another one. You know, bankruptcy judge can't get into it either if it's administered properly, uh, or any other time when person is looking for asset protection. So it's um, it's a significant thing that that parents can do for their children, and it's one of the most common reasons for doing it. But what are some of the other reasons for creating trust? Some people will do it simply because they know that it's easier for their loved ones when they die. They don't have to go through the court process. It's faster. It's less expensive. Now, truthfully, it's more expensive going in. You know, it's it's like the old Midas commercial, pay me now or pay me later. <laughs> That's right. Well, the bottom line is, is that in most cases, trust-based planning costs a little bit more when you're doing the planning because it, does give you more options and it's it's actually a more sophisticated planning typically uh than will-based planning so it is more expensive but it's less expensive going out so when you die it's much easier and less much less expensive on your family upon your death so uh but it also gives you privacy and and during your lifetime a trust gives you full control, and and it doesn't a – big, a big thing about it is it doesn't change how you have to prepare your taxes, not if it's a revocable trust. Uh, the Internal Revenue Service, the Department of Revenue, they consider revocable trusts as pass-through entities. In other words, they ignore them. Uh, you use your Social Security number on those trusts, so uh, the bottom line is that any – Interest or dividends are going to be – any 1099 that you're going to get from trust property is going to be in your Social Security number and taxed to you just like if you did not have a trust. So it makes it simple for folks uh, as it relates to that as well. Um, So anyway, those – now, there are other reasons people have trusts that are really important. It might be that it's a second marriage or a third marriage or a fourth marriage. (laughs) (laughs) And you have children by previous marriage uh, or marriages, and you want to protect your children. Uh, or it may be that you want to uh, take care of your spouse, but only for her lifetime and then, or his lifetime, and then the property goes to your children. You can do that with a trust uh, that you can't do with a will very easily. Uh, It may be that you're trying to create an asset protection trust for your child. It may be that you own property in another state. Anybody that owns property in another state in almost – I mean, I can't think of a time where a trust would be – would not be less expensive than will-based planning. Because if you own property in another state, guess what? You have more than one probate you have a probate in North Carolina, and you have a probate in the other state. And I'll give you an example. I have a client right now. All she's got is a timeshare interest in South Carolina, and it was owned by her husband, who recently died, um, not as joint with right of survivorship, but as tenants in common. So the bottom line is she owns half of it. Her husband who is now deceased owned half of it well she would like to sell it uh, i mean how many people do you know with the timeshare that's trying to sell them okay well they're not easy to sell but the bottom line is that she cannot sell it without getting her her husband's name off the title well guess what in order to do that she's got to go through probate in south carolina to do it Not fun. And it's even though – well, let me put it this way. The probate itself will cost her more in South Carolina, no matter how she does it, than the value of his interest in the timeshare. Wow. Is that not sad? That is. So in essence, she's got an asset she can't do anything with. And uh, I mean, unless – I mean, she can, but it's going to be a loss for her. Right. And I mean, timeshares tend to be losses for people anyway, but it's a double loss for her uh, because of the fact that she—it's there's no easy way to get her husband's name off um, off that property. Yeah, that's a,
0: a tricky situation. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680. WPTF News Radio 680 WPTF. You are listening to Asset Protection today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. And Bill, uh, we're talking all about trusts, and we've gone over the uh, the different
1: or parts of the trust and people well, who are in charge of it. Well, the, the the other piece is okay. What what are some of the other reasons that uh, trust based planning can be extremely helpful to a family? Well. Another big reason is that oftentimes you'll do estate tax planning inside of a trust, which can be far better for a family than than trying to do it any other way. Um, You can also do, you know, actually today with estate planning, income tax planning can be even more important than estate tax planning for most families today. Uh, Because the truth is there are very few families that even have to worry about estate taxes anymore, but all of us have to worry about income tax. And you can do income tax planning inside a trust as well, which is really helpful, Uh, and we like to do that. Um, uh, Another uh, uh, aspect of uh, trust-based planning is disability planning. Well, you certainly can't do disability planning in a will, Because will is just a piece of paper until you die, Um, and if you just do a power of attorney, a power of attorney gives some. It empowers a trusted person, but it doesn't tell them how to do their job. A trust actually does both. It empowers a trustee, but it also tells them how to do their job. (laughs) So it's sort of like. I expect you to spend my money on me, and these are the things I expect you to spend it on. In other words, do it my way, not your way. Well, that can be really important to folks, and particularly when it comes to disability. And how many people that do you know that they they don't want to stay home? Even if it costs more money to, in other words, you're reducing the child's inheritance every month, because they're spending more money to keep you at home. Well, if that's important to you, you can do that in a trust. You can mm-hmm. say, thou shalt keep me at home and spend my money on me to do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that can those kind of things can be really important. And And truthfully, there are lots of other reasons why trust-based planning can be really nice for folks. But Is it important for every family to do trust-based planning? Absolutely not. There are a lot of families where a trust uh, just would not give them much bang for the buck. Should you do it yourself? Can you try to do your own planning with a trust? Absolutely not. You know, it's the kind of thing where if you don't have a good advisor, a good attorney, doing this work for you, you're going to really screw it up. And I've never seen a do-it-yourselfer create a trust that actually worked the way they hoped it would work or work at all in many instances. So it's really important to have a good advisor here.
0: Yeah, and I know a guy. His name is Bill Alexander. <laughs> you can find more about him at WGALaw.com. A quick break and back, you're listening to Asset Protection Today on News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. You can find more about him online at WGALaw.com. You can also find him tomorrow morning on the CW22 at 8 a.m. with his TV show Money Secrets. And, Bill, that's just a, another way for
1: folks to get some great well, tips from you. Well, Jason, I appreciate it. Actually, it's 8.30 a.m., but that's okay. Uh, we want to folks to tune us in at 8.30, and hopefully they'll be back with us next Saturday as well. Uh, but uh, we appreciate your listening, and it's, um hope, hope you get something out of it.
0: Very good, very good. And, again, you can always find more information about Bill at WGALaw.com. We thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you've learned uh, everything that you need to know about trusts, and if you want more information, you need to head over to that website, WGALaw.com. We'll catch you again next week. Thank you so much for listening to Asset Protection Today on News Radio 680 WPTF.